Digital data, digital fun, digital money, little problems with all of that, the top stories of 2018. I am John Fort at the NASDAQ market site. This is Fort Knox, and we are going to dig into these issues that were big in 2018 and what's coming in 2019. When it comes to data, Google CEO Sundar Pichai was just on Capitol Hill giving an account for how Google deals with data and privacy issues. He wasn't the first. Facebook's Sheryl Sandberg, Twitter's Jack Dorsey made recent trips as well. And all that's left people with questions about exactly where their data is going, how it's being monetized, and what it means for them. And then when it comes to fun, too much screen time, this isn't just a kid's issue anymore. It's for the grown-ups too. Apple and others have instituted software to help us keep track of maybe when we've been looking at our devices too long. This at a time when there are questions about whether people are going to continue to buy as many iPhones as they have in the past, not to mention other devices. So where does that take us as a society and these companies and their business? And then finally, digital money. Bitcoin's price is now under $3,400 per Bitcoin. That's after it peaked earlier this year at more than $19,500 a Bitcoin. And that has taken Ethereum, Litecoin, and countless other cryptocurrencies down with it. What happens to this story in 2019 as we head in that direction? Well, joining me to talk about this, Ina Freed of Axios in San Francisco, Ed Lee of the New York Times here for the first part of the conversation, and CNBC's own Josh Lipton in San Francisco as well. Welcome to all of you. Um, Ed, start with you. Digital data and privacy, big issue this year. We just saw Sundar Pichai on Capitol Hill, uh, was it yesterday, the day before? Day it before got overshadowed yeah. by the Oval Office drama between Trump, Pelosi, and Schumer. But what have we learned about what Google intends to do with data and how perhaps uh, the rest of society might need to adjust our usage habits to deal with that. I, I think Sundar, I, I think he actually did a very good job of, you know, sort of making Google's point and, you know, also being contrite in the way that, you know what, we haven't done as much as we could have or should have in terms of giving users better access to their data, knowing what they can turn on, with what they can turn off. I think there is some obfuscation. There are a lot of apps that people have that don't work unless you turn on, say, location data, right? Mm -hmm. And that was my colleagues at the Times wrote a whole big story around how that, piece. how that works. And people, you sort of in the back of your mind know you're being tracked, but when you're faced with it, you're like, whoa, I didn't know that they knew that I was at my boyfriend's house the other night kind of a thing. Um, and, you know, I think they could do more. But what did it accomplish? I mean, here's the thing. Like, We've seen this all year now. They, they, Mark Zuckerberg showed up and Jack Dorsey and a whole host of other tech executives. It's a way for Congress to speak to their base, mm -hmm. um, create a campaign video, which will probably <laughs> run on YouTube at some point, um, but more importantly, to speak to their donor base, right? That's really what they're out for, right? So there was a lot of criticism. They don't get technology, which a lot of them probably don't, but ultimately they satisfied their aim, which is um, show that they're standing up for the, for the people and, you know, get more money ultimately when they're when they're campaigning and you know tech has become this bugaboo right in in society now it's an easy target right both from the left and the right yeah <clears throat> i don't think there's going to be any real regulation coming out of this i think there might be some tweaks to 
you want to geek out on this Section 230, the Communications <laughs> Decency Act, which I think a lot of the GOP likes because that way they can hold them more liable for what is and isn't available on, on these services. Right. Um, but the last part I'd add is that, you know, the biggest question for me is if Google will still do, will do business in China. He didn't answer that question. No. That tells you they're going to do business in China. Yeah, he said there are no right. plans right now <laughs> right. to do business exactly. in China. Right. After I leave here, maybe there's a team in Mountain View right. that's going to put a plan. I don't know, but yeah. right now there's exactly. no plan. In a way in here, especially when it comes to you, I love the New York Times piece that came out that really broke down exactly how much data, if you've got an app that's tracking your location all the time, exactly how much data it gets, how often it's pinging you, how granular it is within yards of your actual physical location, the, the, the response that I heard online from that was overwhelming, but it kind of speaks to why I don't give always access to any apps on my phone exactly because of that. I mean, uh, how aware do you think people are of this issue, and will this information really change anything? I think not very aware, and I wish that Congress had pushed a little harder on this. It's certainly something we pushed Sundar on when we interviewed him after the hearings. I think people need to realize just how personal that data is. Historically, we've thought of personal information as things like your name, your address, your credit card information. But man, your location everywhere you are, that's pretty personal. And one of the things that's come up is this idea of personally identifying information being limited to your actual name. Well, it turns out if you're tracking my location every day, every minute, if you look at the 10 hours where I spend from, you know, 10 to 6 in the morning or the 8 hours, that's a pretty good indication of who I am. And I think we need to take a broader view of what counts as personal information. So it's, yes, it's regulating how they collect it, but also how companies that collect it can then use it. Because I might be willing to give, I love Pokemon Go, I'm playing it all the time. I need to give them really? location data. Uh, yeah, no, shocker no, there, Ed. There for a oh, no, Ina's a huge Pokemon Go fan. I know. She, she's been... You guys been, used to yeah. work together. But to, <laughs> I, I knew there were people still playing Pokemon Go, but I, I wasn't aware that that was, that was your thing. It's me. But, you know, the thing I would like is I'd like to know when my location data is being collected, but also when is it being shared and sold? Because there are apps I might be willing to give location data as long as they're willing to hold on to it. But I don't want that data being sold to a broker, uh, even an ad network, because they really do know exactly who I am. Also, where can I find a Squirtle? at this time of day. Josh Lipton put a button <laughs> well, on this Well, you know, because... this beautiful area right behind me is a great place. Because <laughs> Ed Lee uh, is going to have to jump after this. But Josh, this is an area where Apple and Tim Cook in particular have been pushing for a while uh, with their system of trying to use data but not with personal information attacked and attached and really pointing a finger at some other companies around the valley and their data uh, practices as being too permissive, right? Yeah, sure. I mean, you have. So it was interesting because this year you certainly saw some um, high profile tech execs make the case, John, um, that more regulation could actually be useful. You heard Box's Aaron Levy. Um, you know, Thanks, he man. was on Twitter, I remember, earlier this year during the whole kind of uh, uh, Cambridge Analytica debacle. And Aaron was on Twitter saying, hey, you know, t regulation's coming. And I, I think he said something like, probably for the best. And to your point, uh, CEO, Apple CEO Tim Cook has said again and again um, that he thinks he's a free market guy, but when the free market market doesn't work. You have to have some level of government regulation. That's a great point for Apple, of course, to keep making because it can remind people that, hey, you know, we all share Silicon Valley. We'll all have our address here. But, you know, Tim Cook will say we have a different business model, right? We sell hardware. We sell phones. We don't sell 
advertising. I do agree with Ed, though. Um, I, I don't see how you can come away from these hearings we've had and Sunder Pichai being just the latest and think you're going to really... I'm just hard. I'm skeptical you could really see any real regulation come through. When you see President Trump and Schumer and Pelosi going at it like that, right. um, you know, Ed's right. Senator Pachai did a good job. But part of the reason he did a good job, do you really think lawmakers did a great job? Do you think it was really that insightful um, and useful? I think a lot of people probably watched that hearing and thought, as Ed pointed out, they're making a play to their base. They're taking pot shots at each other. It's hard for me to believe that these two sides, after watching all that, come together in 2019 and really propose and pass serious regulation. I think it's probably going to be self-regulation, which these companies do when they see that they take a hit, like Facebook, which is down 20% year-to-date, John. Yeah, pretty safe to say. I'd say we see the president's tax returns before we see legislation that specifically uh, covers privacy at the depth that people are, well, at least some of us are concerned about it right now. Once again, this is Fort Knox uh, at the NASDAQ market site. You guys are in San Francisco, Ina Freed and Josh Lipton. Ed Lee had to jump. But we are talking about two, the three big stories of 2018, how they lead into 2019, uh, what the changes might be. Next, digital fun. I mean, kind of a no fun zone now, or maybe too much fun. Screen time has become an enormous issue when it comes to how much is safe to expose kids to with their developing brains and not just the kids, how about you and me? Are we spending too much time staring at screens? Ina, this year, with my iPhone 10, I developed an eye strain issue. I don't know if it was the OLED or what, but it made me conscious of the fact that I'm using this device a ton. And then Apple came out with this screen time uh, feature in the software of iOS 12 that quantified that for me. Every week I could see exactly how much time on average per day I'm spending on it. Six and a half hours. Um, what's going to happen with this issue? Do, do we need technology to save us from technology? We probably do to some degree, but I mean, ultimately, it is going to come down to some amount of willpower to change those settings because oh, no. no no device maker is going to keep you from using your device <laughs> when you really want to. Unless I they do can think tell it's you another device to, to keep you from using the first device. That they might do. Maybe, maybe. But I do think this is going to be a huge issue, um, again, for both adults and children. And we have to remember as parents, and I have a five-year-old, that, um, you know, what we do is as important as the limits we set for him. So, you know, uh, my five-year-old's always like, don't give me the time limit phone, which uh, refers to the one where we've set up limits. But he also notices how much I'm staring at the screen. And probably my behavior is going to be the biggest influence, much to my dismay. Again, I want to be out playing Pokemon all the time. But it's really important to put those phones away when you're with the kids. Josh Lipton, um, Apple on the one hand is building this screen time uh, capability into iOS. I should mention Amazon uh, on the Kindle Fires has had uh, parental controls around how much time uh, kids can spend on certain apps uh, for, for several years. So they were in the lead on this. There are similar uh, apps and features available broadly on Android as well. but. Where does this go? Because artificial intelligence, on the one hand, has the capability to push information to us so we don't have to search for it on the screen. But on the other hand, so many of these business models count on us being engaged as much as possible. Doesn't Silicon Valley have an incentive for us to be screen-staring zombies? Sure. <laughs> yeah, zombies. Uh, so 
I certainly, John, engagement's a key metric that financial analysts usually zero right in on, right? Um, it was a big issue this year. You had really prominent Apple investors, for example. They were on CNBC. They made this case very prominently um, and forthrightly. They wanted Apple to do more to address this um, attention span, particularly among kids. Um, and I, I rely on the screen time feature. I do find it, you know, it's interesting. Ina, I think she's, you know, totally right here. It's willpower. I have found that I don't have much willpower. I think that when you're a compulsive <laughs> user like myself, um, it's alerted me to the issue, and I was blown away by how much I actually spend on this device. Maybe at the edges, it's changed some behavior. Last night at dinner with the wife, John, I suddenly, you know, do I, re I realize, do I need my phone next to me while I'm having dinner with my wife? So maybe it's, 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 it's sort of brought to my attention. Maybe I don't need it when I'm walking the dog. But, man, it is really hard once you've got used to um, picking up that, that phone and spending that much time, particularly in certain apps. For me, it's Twitter. Um, it's hard to change those patterns of behavior. Um, maybe if you have an incentive like a kid, maybe, you know, that, that, that'll work. You know, uh, some of the newest technology that's coming out, it seems, is less screen-centric and more uh, looking into engaging other senses, like uh, listening when it comes to digital assistants in the home that are translating language into commands and doing things for you. So uh, seeking to bypass the screen. Should we think of this as uh, maybe a, a human interaction versus non-human interaction issue? And what I mean by that is, yes, staring at screens isn't good, but what if we get really good to talking to computers and lose the ability yeah to talk to other human beings. Like if we're used to commanding Alexa all the time, what happens when we're talking to somebody who doesn't just do what we asked the first time? It's a huge issue, John. I, again, especially as a parent, you know, I think we have to be really careful. You know, you can think of the fact that there's no screen and think we're improving, and I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think there's two big issues, and you hit on one. One is uh, Alexa responds to commands. And people, that's not how we should be interacting with one another. So part of it is teaching your kids that that's not the world. And it's super hard when everything is on demand, whether it's Netflix or Alexa. The second issue, and this is probably the one that gets less attention, is the fact that People need to remember, these voices sound like friendly people. That's Amazon's computer. You've put a retailer in your kitchen, in your living room. That's Amazon, not a friendly woman named Alexa. And that's the part that I think people don't spend enough time thinking about. I, yeah, I think about it. That's why I won't have that mess in my house. You know, listening and Yeah, whatnot. I'm with you. I yeah. try them out, but I have, <laughs> I have yet to give a permanent place to anyone's uh, computer in that sense in, in the kitchen. Josh Lipton, um, when it comes to this issue of interacting with people versus also interacting with machines, something tells me that maybe we're framing it the wrong way. Maybe instead of thinking about uh, screens that we shouldn't be looking at or devices that we shouldn't or, or should have in, in our homes, we ought to be thinking about the experiences that are actually healthy. Are we uh, having valuable conversations with people at a level, level of depth? Are we able to express emotions in a healthy way? Maybe if we were measuring that and there were enough of that, there would just be less time for the other stuff, no? 
No, I think it's a great point, John. And some of the people who were uh, most actively calling for some of these new features in screen time, I think we're sort of hinting at that point. I think you're really just in the first innings of this debate. Um, so far, we've had we've had some remedies, you know, build new software. But maybe, you know, as we move forward, there's all new metrics, there's all new ways to limit um, how we interact with devices that we're going to have to come up with and that the companies are going to have to come up with and that we may have to, in 2019, keep demanding new features to push the f conversation forward there. Yeah, can we measure quality relationships? Somebody should work on that. Uh, this is Fort Knox. We are talking three big stories of 2018. Digital data, digital fun, digital money. All of them came under intense scrutiny. Perhaps none of it in a measurable way more than Bitcoin. Digital money, if you will, now priced at under $3,400 per Bitcoin. That's an enormous fall. It was close to 20000 per Bitcoin at the beginning of the year. You know, is there any real sense, I mean, I don't know, is there any sense what happened here? Did Kim Jong-un just sell a bunch of Bitcoin after a bunch of ransomware attacks and depress the price? How, how does this happen? I, I don't know anybody who understands the movement of this, I guess you can call it a cryptocurrency. Well, I mean, when you look at any investment, whether it's Bitcoin or orange juice or stocks, you know, ultimately it's confidence in this commodity, if you will, and, and a sense of its value. And I think with Bitcoin, it's really hard to understand where that might be. There's all these benefits that led to its huge rise, this idea of, you know, decentralized, governments aren't involved, you know, and all that stuff. And then, you know, in the fall, I think it highlights all the things to be risk about. It's um, very ethereal, uh, not to borrow Ethereum's <laughs> word. It's hard to put a finger on. Um, you know, I think one of the things that's always concerned me about the, the digital currencies as they're structured today is um, one of the things that gives them their value is the fact you have to mine them. You're using a ton of electricity to make a virtual good, which just doesn't seem really great for society as a whole. I don't know mm. that that's contributed in any meaningful way to its decline, but it's certainly um, a downside to this, if you will. And I think you've seen governments step in and say, look, you know, we don't care whether it's Bitcoin or anything else. You know, we do care about um, illegal uses of money and we will regulate things as they come. And ultimately, you have to turn Bitcoin or whatever into something you can use. And the governments are saying, yeah, when you turn that into something you can use, we're going to be there watching. <laughs> so I think those yeah. are some of the factors. Um, but, you know, it's super hard. It's very speculative. Uh, I, I can't pick stocks. I'm certainly not going to uh, <laughs> bet on whether Bitcoin's going to go up or down next. Uh, I'll keep my paltry savings in uh, mutual funds. Josh Lipton, you ever owned any Bitcoin? I have not, John. Although I think it's interesting. I mean, there's certainly um, well, you can't think still it's that interesting. Tech if you have. <laughs> why haven't? Why well, haven't I don't you know. No, I haven't checked. As you know, John, I haven't checked my contract yet as to what I can own and not own. The the overlords at CNBC get pretty pretty careful about that, pretty carefully, and for good reason. <laughs> I would say, though, um, you know, there's certainly still, despite this fall, listen, there's tech investors out here, um, people that I really respect who still see great value in crypto. They say, listen, there are... Um, there are many stores of value. There's gold, there's real estate. This is the first one, they'll argue, that's decentralized and digital. Um, but maybe one lesson of 2018 is the simplest, that you know, for investors, you're moving into this asset, you, know, you have to know it's, it's a relatively new asset and yeah. it can be hyper-volatile. Although I do get less questions about it um, than, let's say, a year ago. You know, I, sometimes I use my, my buddy, Sean, uh, was a big crypto guy. Now he's kind of lukewarm, and I'm, I'm starting to wonder if that's a kind of contrarian indicator maybe we use here at these price levels. Yeah. 
I mean, you just saw the chart we put up, 79.9% drop. Okay. And, and still, I haven't heard any just clear, lucid reason, even behind what triggered that. There were all kind of ideas about what was leading to its rise and predictions about how it could go to uh, 100,000. But now that it's down you know, under 3,400, a lot of crickets, I mean, at least in terms of a, of a coherent explanation, you know, for me, part of the issue always was, I don't need this for anything. I mean, I need to be able to take a picture of a check to deposit it in my bank account. I like that. I like that Venmo lets me pay the babysitter, even though, you know, I, I wish I could use PayPal, but the young folks, the youngs don't use the PayPal anymore, so I signed up for Venmo. And so I kind of get that, though I'm not sure how Venmo is going to make a ton of money in the future. So, but, but I get those things when it comes to digital money, but the need for a whole different currency that's not backed by the U.S., I don't. That sounds like something I don't want. Yeah, I mean, you know, there are some benefits that are held out. You know, certainly the decentralized nature. I think, you know, if you look at the U.S. and you say, wow, the U.S. has a lot of debt, that's a concern. Or and you look at gold and say, are we going to need gold? Is it really worth what it was? You know, I can see some of the benefits. But again, you pointed to another downside, which is it's not going to be the kind of thing I go and spend at Starbucks. It's just not practical, the time issue, the transaction fees make it not very attractive for that. And that removes one possible use. So um, that said, you know, gold has always had value and it's not like you go to Starbucks and pay with, uh, you know, gold bullion. Yeah, exactly. I would say, listen, there's, there's that whole case, John, too, that it's, it's an alternative store of value, right? There's a group of people who they are skeptical of policymakers, lawmakers, fiat currency, paper money. And so they see that as the value. It is, I did see an interesting report this week that actually the, the number of verified um, number of verified users of cryptocurrencies actually doubled in the first three quarters of the year, even as Bitcoin, of course, cratered. So maybe that's another bullish signal there. Uh, Ina, what's your take on why not just Bitcoin, but all of these various currencies have tended to fall in lockstep with it? I mean, it, it seems like part of the, the value of the blockchain idea was also diversity, and every individual cryptocurrency seemed to have a reason why it was different from, better than Bitcoin, et cetera. But just when it comes to, you know, hard, cold reality of price action, there doesn't seem to be a ton of difference. There's no crypto that's moving like this while Bitcoin is going like this no. that I know about. For sure. I think you're basically seeing the same investment thesis kind of holds for all of these. We haven't seen a really different narrative. They might have one advantage or another, um, but really you're betting on the same thing. So we've seen them move together. Um, and I do think, you know, we may see something come out with a very different thesis, but we haven't seen it yet. They're mostly really variations on the theme, and you can see that from how they've moved together. You ever bought any Bitcoin, Ina? I have zero Bitcoin. My Bitcoin is worth exactly as much as it started the year. I'll tell you what, the, uh, the co-founder and CEO of Coinbase gave me $1 worth of Bitcoin um, to three, four years ago, something like that. So I, I think I'm still positive on that $1 because I think Bitcoin was at around two or 300 uh, bucks when he did that. So I, I think it's worth... 10 bucks. That's still within the range of, of what we're allowed uh, to, to receive as reported. And plus, I haven't cashed it in. It's just my indicator of how much the currency, again, if we can call it that, moves around, guys. Uh, pretty nuts. Now, 
of these three issues, Josh Lipton, which do you expect mm. to have the most impact on society and on business in 2019? And talking about digital data, uh, digital fun, digital currency. Oh man, can I pick two or I gotta go with one? I'll pick one. Those are the rules. One. one. Those are the rules. John? One. Rules are rules. Um, yeah, no, I'll go with data only because, um, like I, like I, like I mentioned, I, I agree with Ed. I, I don't think you'll see much coming from Capitol Hill, but I do think, to the extent that it keeps affecting these companies' business, it's going to keep being on our radar, right? I don't think you know Facebook. Um, certainly, can we call it the toughest year or one of the toughest years in that company's history? It just had, and for good reason, for privacy, for misinformation, um, they have taken a hit. That's not to say they're still bulls. They come out all the time, John, on yeah. your show. They talk about it. Um, they say, okay, solid growth. It's decelerating, but it's solid. They yeah, love, it's not like anybody's know, beating them on the business front. What you know, WhatsApp, Instagram, and hey, it's a lot cheaper. But to the much that I think for Sonny Pichai, for um, for Dorsey, for Zuckerberg, it's going to keep being something that they're going to keep getting questioned by by the street, by investors. It has the impact to um, really hit their business on both the bottom and the top. And so I, I would put my eggs in that basket. So I think that's the number one issue um, for 2019 still. All right, Ina, data, fun, I mean, money. Yeah, I'm going to agree with uh, Josh that data is an issue, but I'm going to disagree with both Ed and Josh that nothing's going to happen. I think huh. this is an issue, as you pointed out, that um, unites the right and the left. Um, there's some interest on both sides, though not unanimous in taking action. And I think the industry itself is ready for some regulation. We already have it in Europe with GDPR, which sets out kind of some rules of the road for how companies have to do business. I think they're ready to basically do business similarly in the U.S. And you have a little bit of, uh, of a push for action in that there's a California law that will go into effect in 2020 That's unless right. a federal law preempts it. And I think that the fear around California's law will actually lead everyone to get to the table. Everyone will be able to call it a win. So I think we'll see something roughly similar to GDPR passed in 2019. Um, maybe ideally for the industry, they'd like to see it have less teeth so that if they do mess up, they don't have to pay huge fines. But I think the essential protections of GDPR will probably come to the U.S. Maybe this was too easy. I agree on data. I wonder, though, can Congress get this done before the clock starts on the 2020 presidential campaign cycle because at that point I mean let's start a week ago yeah I mean it seems like it we had Julian Castro uh, declaring and, and and he's second for the Democrats but come on I mean any controversial legislation a lot of people might want to stay away from but hey you're right GDPR seems to be working in a lot of circles so maybe uh, that is closer to a layup in a freed Josh Lipton Thanks so much for being with me to talk through those issues. This has been Fort Knox, Rich Ideas, Powerful People at the NASDAQ Market Site, talking about three big stories for 2018, how they feed into 2019. Thanks for being with us. See you next time. I am John Ford from CNBC, and this has been Fort Knox, Rich Ideas and Powerful People. Subscribe wherever fine podcasts are distributed. Check out the reviews on iTunes. Leave me a note. Also, subscribe to the Fort Knox series on LinkedIn. That's brand new, and it's a great way to keep up with the trends I'm seeing both on this Fort Knox show and in my other work on CNBC. It's also the absolute best way to be in touch with me. Leave a comment on the series. Also, subscribe to the Fort Knox channel on YouTube, F-O-R-T-T-K-N-O-X.com slash YouTube. Matter of fact, you can go to YouTube now and see video of this conversation. 
or you can go to the CNBC apps on Apple TV or Amazon Fire TV and find Fort Knox in the featured areas. Meanwhile, share this, tell a friend, drop me a note on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, or fortknox.com. And as always, thank you for lending an ear.